Well, hello everybody and welcome back. My name is Dustin, this is Empty Tomb Radio. Today we're going to dive into Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is one of those chapters that causes a lot of controversy among people. For various reasons and we'll talk about it. My whole goal is to just go through and see what it says. I'll give you my opinions at the end on why I think that way. I'm not trying to convince you one way or another when Jesus is coming back. A lot of people think that this is the end now with the coronavirus and government shutdowns and everything. Um, it is a crazy time, but I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot crazier times <laughs> before the end. Is Jesus going to come back and save us all from the coronavirus? I don't think so. Matthew 24 talks about when Jesus is coming back and what to look for. And I would say every generation has thought that Jesus was going to come back during their lifetime. I mean... Just think of all the atrocities that have happened over the ages. All of the crazy plagues, you know, like the Black Plague and the Spanish Flu and all of that stuff. Jesus didn't come back. What about the Holocaust? It wasn't with God's new covenant of people, but still that was crazy times and the world wars and how many people have died. So... Jesus might not be coming back for the coronavirus, but we know for sure that the enemy is hard at work distracting us, inciting panic, controlling the media and what people are seeing. My wife recently lost her grandma not due to the coronavirus or something else. And her dad flew down to Mexico. And he spent some time down there to, you know, for the, for the funeral and everything. And this particular part of Mexico, they don't have internet and the, the news media and CNN and, see, you know, all these, all these different outlets filling their minds with all this garbage. And there's no mass panic. There's no mass hysteria down there. The coronavirus is there. But they're taking care of each other. They're not fighting people at Costco and stabbing people over toilet paper. This is unprecedented time where our freedoms are just being taken away. And I understand why, but what concerns me is how powerful the government is, where they can basically shut down our whole society. And when things really get bad, when the end times are really approaching, when we're presented with the mark, the mark of the beast, right? 
there's going to be two options, basically. You take it or you die. There's a lot of this stuff circulating around how Bill Gates has he him and his charity and it's a philanthropy thing. They conspiracies out there about how he patented the coronavirus in like 2015 and he's working on this microchip that's going to uh, make like mandatory vaccinations on everybody. They're gonna be able to tell if you're vaccinated or not. Like that sounds pretty crazy. <laughs> That sounds like some end time stuff right there. You know, like chipping everybody. Uh, that sounds exactly like the mark of the beast. Whether this is true or not, who knows. But what I can assure you is that whether Jesus comes back one one year from now, in seven years, in ten years, in a hundred years, he is coming back. And he gave us things to look for. And he talks about it in this chapter. So this is kind of a fitting chapter. I'm home with my kids today because they're out of school. School is canceled. Well, only my son's in school. My daughter's not in school yet. But anyways, I'm home with them. It's just it's like society shut down. <laughs> Everyone's freaking out. And uh, we got to talk about Matthew 24. I didn't plan it like this. This is just how it is. So let's say a quick prayer and we'll get right into the scriptures. Dear Heavenly Father, Holy, Holy Father, Abba, I love you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the health of my family. I pray that everyone hearing this today is comforted and they know a little bit more about you. So Holy Spirit, please come over me. Please speak through me and help me interpret these words. And bless every person hearing this. Father, with you and your perfect love, we know that perfect love casts out fear. And we do not have to live in fear, Father, for we have you. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Chapter 24, verse 1. Signs of the End. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples and came to him. No, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be one left here, one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. So last, chap last chapter was the chapter of woes. He was basically talking about the Pharisees and, and he was talking about the altars and the temple and they leave the temple and they go find the next verse they go sit upon the Mount Olives and they're looking over the temple and Jesus is telling his disciples right here I'm telling Jesus saying I'm telling you there will not be one stone left on this temple So we know that this temple was built. It is in the Bible. It's in Ezra chapter 6, verse 15. Um, Zerubbabel and Ezra built the temple. This temple was the center of Jewish life for almost a thousand years. This was like their holiest temple. And Jesus is saying not one stone should stand in this temple. 
So about 40 years after Jesus said this, there was like a Jewish revolution against the Romans, right? And the Romans just, you know, they ended up crushing the Jews. So around 70 AD, Jerusalem was leveled and the temple was destroyed. The story goes that the last remaining Jews fled to the temple because it was the strongest building, it was the most secure building in Jerusalem. And Roman soldiers surrounded it. And it said one drunken Roman soldier set fire to the temple. All the ornate gold and detailed work that was on the roof melted down to the to the walls in between the cracks of the stones. And the Romans wanted to retrieve the gold. So the Roman commander ordered that the temple be dismantled stone by stone. So the destruction that they completed the temple was so thorough, removing each stone, that people today don't even know where the foundation of the temple was because they took it apart that great. And Jesus knows about this. Like this is a literal prophecy that Jesus said, you know, 30 years before it happened. So this being fulfilled literally right here, part of the controversy stems from this verse and this literal interpretation that the rest of the chapter should also be taken as literal. I don't necessarily agree with that, but we can talk about it as it comes. So like I said, I'm not here to sway you one way or another to see if Jesus is coming back before the tribulation, after the tribulation. This is just... Uh, just trying to give you as much information as possible. Sorry, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? So Jesus is talking about the temple, but obviously since the temple was destroyed shortly after Jesus was was crucified, you know, like 30 years after, a blink of the eye after, and, you know, the whole grand scheme of things, the disciples were thinking that the temple was going to be related to the end times, or the destruction of the temple. So this is what's causing the significant disagreement of the, of the, of the Christians. Um, a lot of the things that Jesus is about to say, people are trying to attribute to that first destruction of the temple. So I'm read verses 4 through 8. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So he's telling us what to look for. We have false messiahs, wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilence.
Verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto nations. And then shall come the end. So we, te- we see the, the time before Jesus' ascension to heaven and his second coming. They say that Jesus is saying that they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you. They will betray one another. Traitors within the church. False prophets will deceive many. Lawlessness will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as witness to all of the nations, and then the end will come. So it's pretty impossible to tell if every person in the world has heard the gospel, but I think most mainstream people definitely consider that the gospel has been carried into every nation at this point with all the missionaries around the world. Interesting perspective that I heard uh, teach a teaching on the end times and Jesus's second coming is, I mean, one of the questions that I've always had is if the devil knows how powerful God is, does he really think like he's going to win in the end? <laughs> like there's, is there any way that he thinks that he'll defeat God? Like I've, I've struggled with this question for a while. It's like, why is does he like, obviously he believes in God, but he thinks there's going to be a different ending. So, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser had a great teaching on, uh, I guess like spiritual warfare and the battle of the kingdoms. And he referenced one back, I think it was Matthew 10 or something. If you've been with me for a while, you'll remember the when Jesus is casting out demons. And then the Pharisees say, he casts out demons because he's part of their kingdom. And Jesus says, what does that make sense if like the 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 kingdom of Satan is casting out Satan? Like that doesn't make any sense. So we do know that there are two kingdoms, right? There's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of Satan. That came directly from Jesus' mouth. We know that. But what he was attributing their whole end game, right, is they know that they can't win in the end, but possibly they could delay the second coming Especially in this last part, in the gospel, the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness for all nations, and then the end shall come. So attributed, then you talk about this verse here. So they might not be able to win in the end. They will be cast in the lake of fire, but perhaps, maybe, they can delay the coming of Jesus. So that they could reign on earth here for a little while longer. If that makes sense. Um, Verse 15. The coming of the Son of Man. 
When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. So I know at the end of the last episode I talked about the book of Daniel. I didn't read that preparing for this. I just read Daniel just because. But they're calling back to Daniel and something specifically that Daniel says that takes place at the Jewish temple Daniel chapter 11 verse 13 oh no my iPad's frozen so he's Jesus is talking something about the abomination of desolation And we're first introduced to this in Daniel. Sorry, I'm just pulling up Daniel right now on the iPad. iPad froze. I had to restart the app. It's old. It's sticky because my daughter watches her little baby bum on here. Baby bum bum. With her sticky fingers and smacks the screen. Alright, Daniel chapter 11. Verse... 13. Let's read that real quick. Wait, sorry. Verse 31. Dyslexic. Alright, Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. Forces shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know God shall stand firm and take action. So this is what Jesus is referring back to, the abomination of desolation. Before I get too far ahead of myself. Well, before I move on any further, I will get a little far ahead of myself. <laughs> I believe the abomination of desolation, it has to do specifically with the Antichrist. And we're going we're gonna to see why that is in just a second here. So just think of just when I read this, I'm thinking abomination of desolation, the Antichrist is in the Jewish temple proclaiming to be God. And he's, he's set up something there. We don't know exactly what it is, but um, it's it sounds pretty crazy. So we're going to come back to the abomination of desolation. But I'm going to go on just a little further, then we'll circle back in a little bit. So verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So Jesus saying, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, so the holy place is the temple, this is what you need to do. Let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that, that give suck in those days. So when we see the abomination of desolation take place in the temple, Jesus say, run to the mountains, forget what's in your house. Don't come back. <laughs> Don't come back to get it. Like, get out of town. All right? 
Uh, verse 20, but pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, and no time, no, nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake. Those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that there was possible that they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, do not go forth. Behold, he is in secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth into the west, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man be. But whosoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So, Jesus is saying after, I guess this is where some of the controversy comes in. Because who is he talking to here? Because he says, those that be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now is he talking specifically to the people that have not been raptured yet? Or to the church that is... Sorry, let me, let me reset. Is he talking about the people who are left over after the rapture? Or is he talking to his church with a rapture yet to take place? So that is the question. And that is the question that people are divided upon. When is, are we going to be here to see this happen? Because he says here in verse 16, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So is let them which be in Judea flee in the mountains and them who is in Judea on the housetops? And does are is he just speaking to the people in Judea? Through verse 28, where he says, where the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. That is a question that you need to answer yourself. At the end of this, though, I'll tell you why I think it's otherwise. But, like I said, that's just my opinion. So, he's saying there will be people saying that there are new Christ and Christ, right? So he says, there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they'll show you great signs and wonders. So great that if it was possible, they would deceive the very elect. So there will be crazy stuff happening. These false Christs will appear. These false prophets will appear. They will be able to perform signs and miracles. He says, if somebody tells you, behold, Jesus is back and he's in the desert. He says, don't go there. Or somebody says that he is in the secret chambers. He says, don't believe it. 
It's not going to be a secret when Christ comes back. Because he says in verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So he's saying, just as lightning <laughs> comes into the sky, boom, here's Jesus. All the world will know and every knee will bow. Verse 29 says, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. It gets crazier though. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Verse 30, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and he shall all the tribes on the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. So crazy stuff in the sky. The, the sun's going to be dark and the moon's not going to shine. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send angels with the great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds. This is reminding back to the parable, right? With the, 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 the wheat and the tares. And remember... Jesus, they're saying, Jesus, why don't you take out the the tares? And he's saying, well, if I take out the tares, I'm also going to take out some wheat too. I have to wait till harvest time. And then it talks about the angels swooping down and taking, uh, and taking you know what's rightfully theirs and throwing the rest into the the great fire. Verse thirty two. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, he putteth forth leaves. Ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Fig trees, had a lot of fig tree talk over the last few weeks. Fig trees are the most, not the most, they're very common fruit in Israel. And as their leaves appear, you know that summer is coming soon. So Jesus is saying, as you see these things, you will know that my, my time is coming. Verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Just as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not the flood come, and knew not the flood came, and took them away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As the days of Noah. This verse gets thrown around all the time. So we know that the days of Noah 
crazy stuff was going on. The world was corrupted. The Nephilim were around. Eating humans and stuff and being crazy and... Right after the Genesis 6, Genesis 6 account, the sons of God come down. Maybe the daughters of women. Boom, the flood happens. I mean, there was like several hundred years before that happened. But anyways, the very God wipes out the earth, right? To rid the earth of the corruption of, of the Nephilim. So a lot of people think that the days of Noah will mean that the, the sons of God will procreate with the women of earth again. There will be Nephilim in the end times. Now, I th I do think that there will be sp specific evil bloodlines in place, and there probably will be Nephilim stuff going on in the days ahead. I don't think that's what Jesus is alluding to in this verse for a couple of reasons. Um, what I think that he means by this, verses 37 through 39, but as the days of Noah were shall be shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving into marriage until the day that Noah entered an ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Noah was going around warning people of the flood before the flood happened, and they weren't listening to him. Many people knew the flood was happening. And what does it say they were doing? They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving into marriage. They were just carrying on with their life. I used to think that eating, drinking, giving to marriage, I think I used to think these words had like a negative connotation, like they were like gluttons or being immoral, which I mean, there was a lot of immoral stuff going on. There was same-sex marriages going on pre... The antediluvian world was pretty similar to how it is today so there are a lot of connections we can draw to these verses however i think that what jesus is saying in 37 39 in my humble opinion is that people are just going on their merry business and acting like everything is okay and then They didn't know the flood came until it took them all away, right? That's how it's going to be with the return of Jesus. Verse 40. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. At the, mill. the one shall be taken, and the other one left. Watch therefore, for ye know not which hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think the Son of Man cometh, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household? To give him meat in due season. Blessed is the servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, then he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if, 
An evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day, when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of. Verse 51. And shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's the end of the chapter. So let's go back, break it down. So Jesus is saying nobody knows when the coming is going to be, right? He gives us stuff to look for. So is there two comings of Jesus? Because he says specifically when he's going to come in in other areas of the Bible, right? So three and a half years after the Great Tribulation starts, halfway through the seven-year period is when the abomination of desolation is said to take place, according to Daniel. Right, there's also days that can be calculated in, in Revelation. So, I mean, people can kind of narrow it down, but it just depends on when the Tribulation starts. But... But it also says the day and the hour is unknown. So what is happening here? Is there a contradiction? Is there two comings? Or does one refer to the rapture of the church and one refer to the judgment of the world? We have a parable at the end. With a faithful servant and an evil servant. So verses 45 through 47 is the faithful servant. And the Lord makes him ruler over his household while the Lord is gone. And the servant does exactly what he is told. And when the, the Lord comes back to the household, he finds him doing what he should be doing. And he says, verily, he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Okay, but then there's an evil servant in verse 48. It says, And if my evil servant says in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he is not looking for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of. And when he comes back, he shall cut him in two, appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is also known as hell. So when the Lord is coming back, there are two different servants we can be. We can be the faithful servant or we can be the evil servant. So I don't want to be an evil servant with my message to you today and say when I say that I don't think the Lord is coming back in a year or seven years. Like The truth is, we don't know. Jesus says very clearly that angels in heaven don't even know when I'm coming back. But only my Father knows.
but he does give us stuff to look for. Beginning of the chapter, we talked about the wars, the famines, the pestilences. It just says, as, as the birth pains start, you'll know the end is near, right? So as the woman is in labor and her birth pains begin, there's no going back. <laughs> the baby is coming, right? So he gives us things to definitely look for. Now, the abomination of desolation. I told, told you we'd circle back around to it. I believe the abomination of desolation is with the Antichrist in the temple that is not yet rebuilt where he does, he is sitting on the throne and proclaiming to be God. For in the same chapter we referenced before, Daniel chapter 11, it says, Sorry, my iPad's super slow and sticky. <laughs> he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God, shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end, for it is still await the, the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And he shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. The big G god of little g gods. Right there it's saying. He will exalt himself above God. This is at the abomination of desolation in the temple in Daniel. We're still there. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. So we know that the Antichrist will be in the temple at the abomination of the desolation. He will be magnifying himself above God. Now, we also get a view into this in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, uh, verses 14 and 15. So this is what he's doing in the temple. Revelation, verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Might as well just finish this chapter. Also, it causes all both 
small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. This is very strange and hard to pick apart what is exactly taking place in the temple. But what John in Revelation is has seen, he sees something. He sees an image of the beast that has been given breath and that people will worship. So I don't know if this is like a, a robot or a human or a hologram. It's an image of the beast that was wounded with the sword but did not die. And people will worship it. And they will all have to take the number of the beast. It says in the right hand or on the forehead. And it says they can't buy or sell goods without it. And once that happens, your salvation is gone. There is no coming back from taking the mark of the beast. Now the mark of the beast, is it a microchip? I don't know. I don't know how much a, a microchip would affect your salvation. What I do think, though, is whatever it is would probably have something to do with some type of maybe DNA manipulation, some type of like transhumanist thing to where you will no longer be quote unquote like a regular human. Whether it's some type of weird mix of vaccination with DNA type stuff or there's something in inside of you um, definitely seems to be kind of like an unforgivable offense so what do you think it is <laughs> there's many there's much speculation about it and there always has been So, the last thing I wanted to say about the abomination of desolation that takes place in the Holy Temple with Jesus' return. And the reason that I think the church will be there when this takes place, so we will not be taken before the Great Tribulation, but we will, take, we will be taken after the Tribulation has started, but before it ends, so before the sun has darkened the moon, it shines her light no more, right? So like before the whole judgment of the world. So there's an in-between period where I think we'll be taken because of this one chapter in Second Thess Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read this. I'm not trying to convince you. When Jesus is coming, but I'll let this speak for itself. This is the man of lawlessness, a.k.a. the Antichrist. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to quickly be shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or spoken word or letter seeming to be from us, 
to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know that is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends him a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul is saying here in this letter to the Thessalonians that Christ will not come back until the man of lawlessness is revealed and he proclaims himself to be God or exalts himself above God as we saw in Daniel. So without that chapter in 2 Thessalonians, I would probably believe that we could be taken at any time. I always thought Jesus would come back like at any second. <coughs> Which I mean, he can if he wants to. I mean, that's how I was raised. Jesus can come back tomorrow. He can come back when we're sleeping. But this is saying that he will come back at this specified time when the man of lawlessness is revealed in the temple and the Antichrist is in the temple at the abomination of desolation. It says Jesus is going to come back and kill him with his breath. The same breath of life that was breathed into us at the beginning of the, the creation of man. God breathed into us. It's like when God breathed into Abram and he changed his name to Abraham. That breath of life. That same life-giving breath that will destroy the son of destruction, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. So do not be deceived by the world for any other Christ that are coming into the world will not be of Christ. It will be no secret when Christ returns. And it will be a glorious day. The world will never see such a, it's never seen as such destruction as when Jesus comes back and it never will again. So like it's going to be glorious for us within the church, but for those who aren't, it is going to be the most frightening thing that you could ever imagine. So if people would prepare for the coming of Jesus, like they prepare for the coronavirus. 
the world would be a much better place. Think about 99% of the world is in panic and fear over something they've been told about, something they haven't seen, something that is invisible, and something that they say is coming their way and they're flooding the grocery stores. But think about this. What is God? Jesus is the... Look, God's invisible. We've been told about him for thousands of years, not a couple months, but thousands of years. We know that he is coming our way. But instead of getting an illness and possibly death, you can be cast into the eternal lake of fire. So if people would prepare for the return of Christ, like they prepare for the coronavirus, it would be... just boggles my mind it just it just boggles my mind i'll leave it at that we've talked a lot about about a lot of heavy subjects today if you don't believe me or you don't like agree with me i don't say don't believe me i just quoted basically scripture the whole time we were here and i gave you my opinion on what i thought it was if you agree with something differently let me know i don't want to fight about it but i will listen to you and we can talk about scripture and we can we can talk about it okay um, but for all of those who are panicking out there, put your faith in the Lord our God. To our Holy Father. We have reverence for our Father. He is holy, but He's also our Father, so He is intimate with us. And with that being said, I gotta run over to my baby because she is not sleeping anymore. And you probably heard her screaming at me. <laughs> I feel bad. I don't I don't put okay. Look, I know that she's been screaming in the background of a lot of these podcasts before, but get this. I don't just like throw her in her room and lock the door so I can come record a podcast about being Christian. I put her down for her naps at her scheduled naps that happen the same time every day. With a clean diaper, a full belly. And she's tired rubbing her eyes. She just hates sleeping. I just got like the one kid that hates sleeping. So I want to clarify that before anyone gets mad at me. Or like child abuse or anything. She is fine. But I'm going to go get her right now. And I'm going to say a quick prayer to close this out. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us. These instructions on what to look for. And how to prepare for your return. Lord until you return. I pray that we can. As a church, come together and prepare many of those who are not in your kingdom now for your glorious return and bring them over to the kingdom of God. Our Lord, situations like we are in today, just crying out. The world is crying out for the church, they're crying out for hope. And where are we, Father? Please encourage us. encourage us to share the word share the gospel share the good news of your coming back for you are alive lord and you are like i said you are perfect love and perfect love casts out all fear so in the powerful name of jesus i pray amen all right everybody 
have a great day. Stay safe out there. Stay away from crowds of people. Not from contracting the virus. Just people are crazy. Don't get yourself hurt. Um, reach out to me on all the socials. Empty Tomb Radio. Send me a Gmail. Empty Tomb Radio. Gmail.com. If you like what you heard, share it with somebody. Leave me a review if you can. It helps. Reviews don't put money in my pocket. They just help this to be more accessible to those who are looking for some type of hope, right? If if, so, if you leave a review and somebody's driving down the road and they're like, they're scared and they search Bible study or Christian podcast or something, like your review will help this come up as opposed to, I don't know, there's a lot of other great guys out there much smarter than me, but it'll just help this become more uh, readily available for those who are searching for stuff like this. So uh, I love y'all. Hope I hope I covered my bases. I know at halfway through the episode, I kind of just threw my notes away and I just wanted to jump over scripture and just read read the Bible and let the Bible interpret the Bible, right? At some point, we can read all the opinions of other people we want, but when the Bible interprets the Bible, that's when we find uh, our, our truths and our power. So anyways, enough with that. I love y'all. Thank y'all for listening. Until next time, take care, and I'll see you soon. Bye.